You know, when you were playing that Rock of Ages, wow, did I ever go back in time. I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was well over 40 years ago. I was still quite a young person myself. And I went to this meeting, and it was an evangelistic meeting. And in the interlude of the preaching and other things that they do in meetings like that, they had this little girl who was about seven, maybe eight years old, and they had her come up to the pulpit and stand behind the microphone and sing the song, The Rock of Ages. And as she began to sing, I had never ever heard a voice that had such a tremendous impact and feeling of going into the soul as I heard when that young little girl sung. And be honest and truthful with you, I have never ever heard anything like it again. And the audience melted under the spirit of the impression of the holy reverence of the voice and the spirit of the voice, the spirit of that little girl, and the word and the message. And people just began to kneel. And they, they trembled as they knelt there under the holy reverence of the rock of ages, cliff for me. There is something so beautiful about God and the things of God. There is something so wonderful that is relational to not just your body, your mind, your, your spirit, but also your soul. And when you feel that kind of a message, and that kind of an impact. It is a, a divinity that comes from above. Well, today, part two. What is the Holy Ghost? Some people just don't know about that word ghost. But you know, you can't get away from it if you read the Bible. I don't say that there are not some Bibles that have translated it out. But it would be difficult because when Jesus transitioned on the cross from one state of life to another state of life, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. And in other scriptures of the ancient word of God in the Old Testament. It talks about people folding their hands and knowing it was their time to pass. And some of these were patriots and saints. And then they gave up their ghost. And so the ghost has meanings throughout the Bible. Different from the exact meaning of spirit. So in the glimmerings of what is and what is not, of what is known and what is not known, Jesus Christ teaches you to worship 
the Lord God and be filled with the knowledge of the Spirit. But he also says something very interesting in St. John 4, verse 22, KJV. He says to the scribes and the Pharisees and to his audience, you, you worship, you know not what. It is so sad. It is so narrow. It is so dementing to think of the vast amount of people that are out there that do worship. They worship something. And even those who worship religiously, they are worshiping, but they don't really, not really, know what they are worshiping. It is by this kind of not knowing, which is ignorance, that they are acting out incorrectly the recognition of the true God and not accepting any recognition of any God for some people. Ignorantly, therefore, and get onto this line, ignorantly bearing false witness to the truth and to the Holy Ghost. People do not understand the seriousness of the responsibility of understanding what is truth and what is not truth. And people are bent toward, toward being entertained. And a religion that can entertain them goes a long way with a lot of people. But it's far more important to be fed of the Spirit than to be entertained of the flesh. And it's far more important to get a connection in your mind of what soul is, of what spirit is, and how there are different points of division between that and the the mind and, and the physical body. We're going to cover some absolutely awesome things today. The stars are going to be saved from their tumble. The dominoes are going to fall one touching the other and down, 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 which represent questions. And if you break down the word domino and you take the word dom, like kingdom, and it's a domain, and then you make a little adjustment there and you got no's, so you got all these dominoes that represent all the no things they do not know the answer to things, and those have to fall. God wants those doms, those doms of no to fall. So when we say these things in our introduction of a teaching, we are not treading in hyperbole. We are not trying to set sails that are called embellishments. But we are bringing out something that has a serious footing. Some of it, of it is very high of mind. Other aspects 
are in the medium of mind. But they all have very fine points whittled by the hand of a ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, to that fine point that if it were necessary, the point would be so whittled, so fine, it could be slipped as the point through the needle's eye. You see, when we are finished today, if you will hang and hold on to this teaching and take it all the way, if you will not get disgruntled and get so full that your cup is spilling over before you even have enough energy put into you to make you super, that would be sad. Because there are going to be so many things brought out here in this teaching today. It is going to be a slap directly into the face of Lucifer and his plan. I'm not very popular with Lucifer. Old Satan serpent dragon. I'm not very popular with him. And I'm happy for that. You know, there is this thing about being filled with the Spirit. And there is so many differences of that. People have no idea how great the differences are. And you must understand and know that if there is a being filled with the Spirit, then that automatically assures that there is a not being filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, it would just be a, a pour of words that have no purpose of reckoning. No sense saying being filled with the Spirit if everybody automatically is already filled. So it automatically tells you that there are conditions in which people are not filled with the Spirit. They may have Spirit, but they're not filled with it. So there are degrees of the Spirit. And then, in addition to that, there are the degrees that your container called a temple. Your, your innermost being is called the temple of the Holy Ghost. So that temple then has dimension. It has roominess. And so there is in every person a different dimension of that temple. And that means size is affected. Measurements are affected. And so the degree is so important. You know, if we were to put this into size of containers, we'd say, well, you know, I, I, I am full, but my container is only the size of an eyedropper. Well, that's not the container that it's talking about. The container that it's talking about when it's referring to the measurements of fullness is the temple, the, the kingdom of God within and the temple that is within you. And that's the, that's the dimension. And that is called in the book of St. John, the first chapter, the light that enters the vessel of every human being born on earth. So if your filling was of an eye drop, you would have some vision because eyes, you have an eye drop filler. But you may have Another little instrument that is for eardrops. 
and that would give you the hearing. And you may have another instrument for nose drops, and that would give you discerning. And then you may have this thing of, of the mouth, where you just sort of slurp stuff. And the mouth has to do with the symbol, the representation of the word. And you're just slurping instead of taking some big gulps and, and some big tall servings. And so there's these people say, I have discerning, or I have vision, or I have the word, or I have hearing by faith. And indeed, they may have all of those things, but just by small degrees in eyedropper container size. And so God is wanting people to understand what you have as a container. You have the temple of God, which is the temple for the Holy Ghost. You have that within you. That is the kingdom of God that every person is born with that comes into the world. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God comes without in, in observation. The kingdom of God is within you. Now in spaces where something of knowledge is missing, sometimes they call it the abode of the dead, and they call it Hades. But the scripture says there are different kinds of ways to search for truth. A, per a person can survey what is visible as evident truth of temporary life. The things you see, the Bible says, those are all temporary. So you look at the ones you love, and you have to understand, it's Bible. They're temporary. That means father, mother, children. That's, that's the deal. The human body, you can see it, is temporary. What is the important subject then? The body, it is important, but is it the most important? The most important subject is the real you, which is your spirit. I have in my ministry been able to see into the bodies of people and see their spirit. And there have been people that, you know, it was so amazing to have the gift to see their spirit because they would seem to be so nonchalant, so unfitting, so unparalleled. They would seem to be so uncounted so not special of meaning. And then you see their spirit and you say, my Lord and my God. This is a tremendously ancient, incredibly awesome spirit and it just has not yet been freed to fly in the opportunities that God is going to open. Blessed be the name of God. And so it's important interpretations. And it's important understanding there is an, e an eternal kind of life that is not in the column of salvation, but belongs to damnation or something very negative. 2 Corinthians 4.18, KJV. People just do not understand totally how that 
God says there is a knowledge that we need to know. It says you will know them by their fruits. Oh, I have read and heard so many sermons on that. And it's amazing all the things that preachers behind the pulpiteering that they do can come up with. One of the fruits that they will often make is the giving of money to the church. I'm not even sure that that is any intention of what the scripture was referring to. Fairly doubtful in my own mind. But one of the fruits that I, I for sure don't hear them use is the fruit that grew on the tree of life. I hear all kinds of other kinds of fruits they come up with, but the tree of life has to do with the spirit of life. It has to do with the Holy Ghost. And the way to the spirit of life, or to the tree of life, is in serious need of a restoration and restoring of the path to dwell in that is headed that direction. And so, in particles of hypothetic electric thoughts, and you are an electric person, your body is electric, you even have an organ that makes electricity for your heart. The big picture of reality has been missed by 99.9% of human minds. Without the input of spirit, capital S, into the complex of the universe, no resolution of ultimate truth can arise. And you could even add to that to that capital spirit also small case spirit, because both of those are relative for knowledge in order to really, really, really be able to understand the complexity of the universe. But there are things in the Bible that are in complexities. And people have read over them. And if you missed those keys, which the Bible says in the words of Jesus Christ, that the scholarly people have taken away those keys from the common people. And while they had the knowledge of what those things probably meant, they withheld them. Why, there was a time, like in one particular church, and I do not knock this church, because I think it is a great church, but where they were ready to almost put people into hell if they translated the Latin Bible into English or into languages that they might know. So unless they could speak that particular language, they could not know. And then they weren't even welcome to have the word and to read it themselves, only to have it given to them and interpreted to them by their priests. I am not knocking any of those people because there have been some great works done by them. But the fact of it is that it was so important when this word began to get out and even all the, the versions of the different Bible that, Bible that exist. Thank God for all of it. But today I'm going to cover some very important things. And these are the pearls that are locked in shells. And until that shell is cracked open, and those pearls of great price can be released, 
then you do not have the spiritual financial capability to move on upward and to know what you should know and understand what you should understand and to be what you should be. To even understand yourself, who you really are, why you are here, and where you really belong in the ultimacy of the future. And one of those pearls is about the war in heaven. Revelations 12, 7. And there is so much confusion because of interpretations of Peter, in first and second Peter, interpretations of Jude, about the casting down of the angels. There is so much confusion on that, how it is being taught in the majority of religiosity out there. I'm not naming denominations. I'm not putting down denominations, but I'm telling the fact of truth. And that teaching has so deeply etched into the minds of people that it has scarred their thoughts. And that scarring needs to be healed. It needs to be removed. And we have just a Gentile tool to do it. Because Gentile can go into the brain and remove some of that negative memory. Why is it so important? Well, let me read to you from from Revelations chapter 12. But before I do that, let me say, when the Bible starts off in the beginning with Genesis, it is so important to understand that in the very first chapter, there is first a summation, a summation given. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And now you have the breakdown. The earth was without form, and it was void, and there was darkness on the face of the deep. And, Senadaki, the way I like to say it, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the water. It starts about the Spirit. The Bible starts in the, without the Spirit. The book of Revelation, the Bible says, was the Spirit of prophecy of Jesus Christ. So the whole book of Revelation is a Spirit of prophecy of Jesus Christ. And a story about the root and the offspring revelation of Jesus Christ. And a revelation of that which was and is and is to come. And the Alpha and the Omega Ages. And so there is a scripture that is so clear and I'll, I'll be reading it a little later. But it tells us that in the old time the people that interpreted prophecies or spoke prophecies did it by the Holy Ghost. And it makes it clear that if you are going to understand what the Bible is saying, what the scriptures are meaning, you can't understand it just by someone getting up with fancy uh, terminologies 
And it actually, it doesn't even matter if they're scholars. Because I'm going to tell you, I've corrected a good number of scholars where they were just plain wrong because they were dividing the word by the sense of their scholarship and not by the sense of the Holy Ghost. And there are literal, literal things that do post in realities and have application. But when you start getting into something that was given by the Holy Ghost and has interwoven into it deep, integral, and interval meanings that are sometimes pearled in there and they're set to be released at different points of time and there's Bible for that big time. Can't cover every acre of God's holy word today, but we're going to enrich you. And so here we are in chapter 12. And it starts with a great wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, in heaven. And then it says, but that wasn't the only wonder. There was another one. The first one was a woman clothed with the sun. But the next wonder was a great red dragon that had seven heads, ten horns, and crowns upon his heads. And connected to this incredible, powerful wonder, the second post-it wonder, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. One third of the stars of heaven were cast to the earth. Now we under, have to understand that stars aren't just these incredible objects that are made of gases and elements. And and we, we can readily see that when we read the ninth chapter of the book of Revelations. And the fifth angel sounded, angel, A-N-G-E-L, sounded. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. The fifth angel fell. He was a star. And he was a he, or at least the pronoun was covering that this was an entity in the form of humans. He didn't just fall without something ha happening, but of his own will and disposition, apparently, the angel sounded. And when he did, the next thing that occurred was the star fell. Now fall, in some cases, doesn't always mean fall. It can actually mean taken. But now in the 12th verse, we have the first fall. And his tail drew one-third of the stars. And in the 38th chapter of the book of 
Job, it talks about the morning stars who sang together and had a ministry of creation. So we see that stars can be entities, and there was a third of the stars, and there were three thirds. There was the, the, the cherubim and the seraphim and the ophanim described in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel chapter 1, and Ezekiel chapter 10. Now someone says, yeah, I know all this stuff. I've heard this before. Maybe you have, but you may not still have the coffee grounds out of your coffee. And there's a whole lot of people out there that are coming on to these broadcasts now. Quite large numbers. And they may not have heard it. So if you're in for the ministry, then you would be in for not only hearing the new things I'm going to be sharing, for, for, but for rehearing the old things. Even look at the Gospels. Many of the Gospels repeat what the other Gospels said. And it's got a few new things. That's just the meaningful, necessary, significant way that you have to deal considering that most human beings only have an eight second, eight seconds of time that they use to comprehend something. They are very short on their interest span. Their span of interest, eight seconds. Not every human being, but the majority. So then we have the first fall. We actually, in the technical sense, don't limit these of the first fall, which were the Ophanim angels, to being. We don't limit them to being, to being fallen angels. We call them failed messengers. Failed messengers. And that was the first fall. And they fell down to earth and they brought forth a man in the fifth verse who was to rule all the nations with the rod of iron and was caught up to God. So we could see that these weren't just humans that, that were animal types. They weren't the primitive humans that lived before Adam. And they fell and they, they were under judgment. And there was, this was a result of, of wars that was going on described in Ephesians, between the forces of, of light and the forces of darkness. In Ephesians 6.12, we'll read that later. Then the second falling happens here, in the seventh verse of the twelfth chapter of Revelations. And there was war in heaven. It's just reminding, there's something going on here. There's war in heaven. Don't think that this fall of these angels being cast down to earth wasn't part of the war. It was going on, but they emphasized this to make a particular point as to who won the war at that point. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, the dragon and his angels. Who were his angels? Well, the Bible tells us 
that Lucifer was a cherubim. So his angels would have been cherubim. That doesn't mean there weren't a few, uh, you know, ophanims that were leaning on his side. But basically the ones in this particular scripture here are his angels. So in the beginning of time when the Garden of Eden is changed, what do you end up with? You end up with two cherubims sword fighting. So you have the two cherubims that are there at the garden. And there's two different claims being made for that tree of life, that tree of knowledge. And one represents the cherubim that has to be these cherubims that were cast down, that were co-owned to Lucifer and then were released to become warriors on their own stead because they were equal to archangels. And and they, they, listen to this, they were warring, and that's who those two cherubims were that were, that were warring with each other, what, you know? And that's why there was two of them. One was the cherubim under Lucifer, one was the, 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 uh, the, the cherubims that were part of the, uh, you know, that, that part of the whole group. Uh, uh, that belonged to, uh, to, to, to the archangel uh, that was over Lucifer. And, and that, that, was, that was Gabriel. So that was Gabriel's cherubim and Lucifer's cherubim fighting there at the Garden of Eden. And then they lost, and the Bible says in the ninth verse, that the devil and Satan and his angels and his angels, verse 9, were cast out with him. And ladies and gentlemen, there are the two falls. So when people just teach there's this one fall and you can't talk about the fallen angels or the failed messengers being people of God, because people just think that's a demonic thing. And even some of your well-known patriot Christian uh, people that were leaders, they fought any of those kind of ideas because they just plain didn't understand it. So in their ignorance, they were bearing false witness against the ultimate truth. And so we've got to get this, people. That's the, that is a pearl. That is a pearl. And the lost book of the life of the Lamb, verse 13, 8 of Revelations, it's, gonna, it's being restored. It's being restored. And so after the war in heaven, a designated place in the universe, Revelations 12, 7, there were two castings down to the earth of angels. Now listen to this. The Ophanim of Yaviel, and Lucifer and his co-owned angels. And the judges required all of these angels, now listen to this, all of these fallen angels to go into the matter of human bodies and without angelic memory work out their path to salvation with fear and trembling. And the Ophanims began the path to forgiveness starting 
with Adam and generating the seed of Adam for bodies of those ophanims to take. But this line of debate was not acceptable to Lucifer. Lucifer challenged the aspect of the incarnate of Koun Cherubim losing their memories. He challenged that. And his challenge was based on, now listen to how, how witty this guy is. If as a fallen entity you lose your knowledge of any error you committed, and you lose ability to use the same mind that you used when you, were, you did the error, then you are blocked from making a true self-repentant dis- decision, and it was not reasonable to Lucifer that his co-owned angels should take bodies without having the memory of who they were. So he rejected and he debated against that to the judges. So nevertheless, this allowed by his making a appeal to the white throne judgment that would not come up until after the universe to allow Lucifer to install his petition to the time of the white throne judgment. In the meanwhile, Lucifer came up with a plan to create, now listen to this, superhumans called giants. They were called Nephilim, which means fallen ones. He then directed the supergiants to be possessed by his fallen co angels. And in that way, they had taken on bodies. They still remembered, still had their memories, and they were doing their repentant act his way instead of the other way that he was told to go. And so now you're hearing something that most of you, that's new. That's new for most of you. And now why are the giants that it talks about the sixth chapter of Genesis so important? Why is it now the fact that there was of the Ophanims, Noah and his clan, that were saved on the ark and those that were raptured to the, to, uh, the father's house? And then there were saved of the giants because you know, when the Bible says that everything that was there on the earth they died, you know, except blah, 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 we clearly have Bible proof that by the words of Jesus that there was this rapture that happened to the Father's house. We clearly have proof that the giants had a, a seed that survived the flood. Because they were raptured by Lucifer and taken to another planet and then brought back because they represented a very important thing to Lucifer to be part of the plan that he was claiming was the salvation for all of his angels co-owned. Now, when you arrive to the highlands of your mind, and you are able to increase the intensity of your scope of truth, many dormant constructions will suddenly appear, and you will know they were potentially with you all the time. Walk with me 
through the needle's eye. For just on the other side, from the world of the small, from the little book, or book of little things, you will be able to see the inside truth. If you were the tallest mountain in the world, or a planet, you would be situated and confirmed with that baggage to the limited vision of the outside world. But when transforming into the small, you can fit into most all things and come to know the inside truth, which is the truth that fashioned the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking a break. Janet Lee.
But Janet Lee, I know, and I know, I know an awful lot of other people know that they really deeply are moved by your spirit in the music. I thank you very much. I do hear from quite a few people telling me that very thing. God bless you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, turn with me now if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, turn your ear toward me. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. Because there is a statement here so very, very important for me to share with you. And it begins for what I'm going to use in the seventh verse. Wherefore, or whereof, here is a, a propositional statement, an explanatory statement. Here is the reason why. Here is the reason how. I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given, to, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Now, you know, we can sing all kinds of songs about the power, power in the blood, and that's true. That's very, very, very unique and applicable. But we have to understand in a translational way what that actually means to us. And, and the meanings of that are multiple. We think the power of the blood is really when we eat and drink the flesh and blood of Jesus, mean taking on his life, which is what the manifest uh, we teach is transassimilation. When we transassimilate Jesus Christ in us, as John said, he will be in us and we will be in him. Well, he was quoting what Jesus said, really. So that is important. So let's go on here. Uh, and then he speaks of this thing about the power that, that this is the thing that gave him the jolt, that gave him the electricity, that gave him the, as he put it, effectual uh, operating ability. Uh, and that power represented spiritual charge. Last week we talked about the charge. We're going to talk about that, Lord Welling, more. Uh, I'm, I'm just hoping we can get to all of this and we'll do the best we can. So let's go on, verse 8. Unto me... Whom is, who am less than the least of all saints. Now you have to get that picture. Don't think that you've got to be the top of the list and that's why you're chosen to minister. Don't think that you've got to be more perfect than somebody else or more holy than somebody else. Jesus said that he, or, or pardon me, Paul said that he was at the bottom of the list. But he was chosen to do the job. And he says... Um, he was, I am less than the least of all saints. Uh, and, and I was given this grace that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, why does he call it the unsearchable riches of Christ? What is the need of trying to explain anything in definition that has depth to it? Well, what he's talking about is that by the natural method, by the human mind, by human reckoning, by human consideration, by even those that have decrees of education and knowledge, as we will see by the scripture here, 
These things about Christ are unsearchable. You cannot search them. They do not open. You can't get, break through the shell and get to the, great, the pearl of great price. There is only one way that something given by the Spirit, spoken by the Spirit, and that is an essence and an aspect of the Spirit itself, because we know in the book of John, the Spirit was made flesh. And so when the Spirit is made word, and that particular word is made word by the Spirit, the only way you can unlock it is having the key of the Holy Spirit that made that word. And you can do all kinds of translations, all kinds of interpretations, get into all the English differences. I'll get into a little bit of that if we have the time today uh, of direct address and some really interesting things uh, that, the, that the King James skips over. And that people that are scholars have called it the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost because they describe the Holy Ghost sometimes as it or itself. And they use those words in the King James translation and they say that's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and they've talked all kinds of people into not sticking by the King James Version. And that's only because these people are trying to interpretate the Bible based on, on English measurement or Greek measurement or Hebrew measurement as to what the definition is. And they're so ignorant to realize that the word it itself could be a special abbreviation of spirit. It's part of the name spirit. And if you wanted to abbreviate spirit and you did it with an it or itself, it would be a unique way to abbreviate spirit. But that's just one part of it. And I will go into the exclamation, exclamation of it if I have the time here today to show you the erring trail that people have taken not knowing the importance of, a, of those words being used like it in itself because they are considered neuter words. And so what do they say that it should be? They say, well, you should call, say, the Holy Ghost pronoun he. And they want to give it a masculinity to it. And, and the Holy Ghost isn't female, it isn't male, but it can act, actuate in both the feminine and the masculine. It can take on personifications that way, but it basically is neuter. And that's why when Jesus said, when you go, you go to the, the first domain, you go to the heaven of heavens, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. It's a totally different dimensional aspect. Okay, let's go on. So that's what it means about the unsearchable. Nine. And to make, now you've got to get this verse, to make all men. Someone says, I don't think that I'm meant to know. All men, you're not part of the all? Come on. To make all men see what is the fellowship. People don't really know what the fellowship is. They have fellowship meetings. And they think, oh great, ah, this is the word of God. We're having fellowship meetings. That's not the fellowship it's talking about. It's the fellowship of the mystery. When you have fellowship to the mystery, the mystery becomes so particular and so exceptional that it takes on personification. 
so that you are talking to a mystery that is the word, but this word thing is so simplistically possible to become flesh. It can so easily become personification because the Bible says the word became flesh and, and Jesus was a living word. And we're called living stones, which is connected to that whole thing about flesh. Testicles are called stones. To the intent now, now let's go, let me finish this, go back, verse 9. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. This has been hidden in God. You don't go into, you have to go into God to get it. And the Bible says God is a spirit and they that worship him must, M-U-S-T, must worship him in spirit and truth. You don't worship in spirit and truth, you're never getting through that door. You can read all kinds of books. You can get all kinds of interpretations by, by people calling themselves whatever they want to call themselves and having whatever degrees they want to have and being linguist and all of that. That does not get you into God. You get into God, you've got to get in there by the Spirit and this message of the fullness of the Holy Ghost, of the fullness of the Spirit being the Holy Ghost, differentiating uh, the degrees of that difference between Spirit and Holy Ghost, is absolute and is a pearl of great price. And so, let's go on here. Wow. What is this about? It's, everybody's got to know about this fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. It purposely has been hid in God. Just like when Jesus spoke the parables. And the Bible says that, that without a parable, Jesus never at any time spoke to the common crowd. He never at any time spoke to the common crowd when he didn't use a parable and when the disciples says, what, what are you doing? Why, how come you're making this so secretive? So secretive? So such a secret. And, and he said, because these people are not ready. It's not given them to know. They are in a swine mentality. And if you pour out this pearls to the swine, you're making a major mistake. They will use it against you and it will, it will pollute the revelation. Wow. You know, when you get this revelation, ladies and gentlemen, you can't just run next door because they happen to be a neighbor and they're close and think that you can pour this down their throat. These, this mystery of God has to be dealt with. It's been hid in God for, for, for ancients of, of, of time, ancientness of time. Wow. Ten, to the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers of heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Here is where the whole problem is. There are these principalities and powers. And they are available to heavenly places. Lucifer is still available to those heavenly places. The Bible shows in Job how he, he went before other angels and other high powers and made his petition about how God would deal with Job and what would be fair in his opinion. So in 
that heavenly place, Lucifer is called the accuser of the brethren. He is there on site making accusations, and he's no dumbhead. He can brilliantly, as a lawyer, present a case that can shrivel most ideologies presented by common people. So unless their ideology happens to be ghost, Holy Ghost fed, they got a problem. And what is to happen here? This thing of the principalities needs to be known to the church because it contains the manifold. Manifold, F-O-L-D, M-A-N-I-F-O-L-D, manifold wisdom. There's wisdom and there's manifold wisdom. There's wisdom in 30-fold. There's wisdom in 60-fold. And there's wisdom in the 100-fold. Now you get into the manifold. Now, what is it talking about? Principalities. Well, most of you know this. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, the same book, and in the, the 12th verse, it clearly definitely says, for we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers. Not just one ruler. So when I talk about the Pontocrator, who's described under the name Mighty in the Bible, Almighty, belonging to that same definition, which is described of the, of the Cosmocrator in uh, Strong's 2888, it's true because he's part of that under the name rulers. But there is also a private definition in Greek Strong's Concordance 3841 for the Almighty that describes the meaning of this name Pontocrator that it's about one power and principality that wants to keep it dark and the other power and principality that wants to say, let there be light. Now, back to chapter 3. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord. This whole revelation is an eternal purpose. It's not temporary. It's not a saga of some particle here and there. It is a long-range eternal purpose that he manifested by the grace of God to his apostles and, and, and evangelists and men of, and, and women of God, and that he also mainly brought to those people through Jesus Christ. Now let's go on, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for which, for which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the 14th verse of the third chapter of Ephesians. Now verse 15 of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. You have to understand out there, when we go to war against these other humans, and I'm not saying that 
we don't ever go to war. There are times that that war just seems to be inevitable. It just has to be done. But you have to keep in mind that all human beings, without hardly any exceptions, are part of the Ophanims who were fallen angels as failed messengers. So in the long run, they all belong to the ultimate family of the Lord of hosts of the Ophanims, the wheels they were called. So, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That whole family has one name. And it's, it's not any different on earth as to the, the relativity aspect of the name as to what that name was in heaven. It's the same name, the same power, the same meaning. And it's not something to just be whiffed over, like blowing your breath. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with, the, with might by his spirit in the inner man. The inner, oh, well, this says it right there. Come on. It says it right there. I hope, I hope you were listening. I hope you didn't get turned away. I, I'll read it again. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. This, this power, this energy belongs to the riches of the glories. Glories that the Bible says in Corinthians that belong to you before the creation of this planet Earth. They belong to you. They, they belong to you. You have a claim on them if you exert it. And so what does it say? To be strengthened. Oh, what's going to be strengthened? With might. By his spirit. What is the inner man? The inner man is the spirit. It's the spirit. So you have to give it. It has to be charged. So when the Bible says and talks about being quickened, that's another way of saying being charged. How many of you people have these little hands, hand phones, little cell phones? And sometimes you're just watching it and reading what it says or observing what it is picturing, and it goes dead. You say, oh, oh, what's wrong with my phone? What's wrong with it? And you get really upset, and maybe you go someone that's a little sharper on phones, and, they, and he looks at it, and he says, oh, you're totally out of, of charge. You must have not plugged it in this morning. Oh, oh, I guess I haven't plugged it in for a couple of days. So the problem why you can't get any vision the problem why you can't get any sound, the problem why you can't get anything from it is because you didn't plug it in, you didn't charge it. So if you don't charge your spirit inside, it can have the same problem that that cell phone has when it doesn't reveal to you vision and hearing and word of God. Because it has no charge energy. And I read last week to you that this is something you have to attend to every day. You have to renew the strength, the energy, the power, the quickening. I, I once wrote this song. Behold, I 
come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. He comes like a mighty rushing wind as the sound drums, drums again. That was a, a new way to look at what it meant when Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Everyone was expecting him to be back in a day or two. It's over 2,000 years now. And that quicken or quickly had a different meaning. And people can't seem to get on to it because they're stair-stepped down into that, that bearing false witness realm. When you bear false witness, you sort of make it like, well, Jesus has maybe got a, something that's intervened or intercepted or... Or, and then the Bible says there will be people that say, well, he's put off his, he's not keeping his promise. He's, he's delayed his coming. Said there'll be people, and there, there's all kinds of people that are using that for an excuse to say it's not real, it doesn't exist. And it's all because it's been mistranslated and misintoned and misrevealed. And there's some top smart people that have done that false very false representation of what the truth is. Now let's go on here. This is really, really, really important. Now we're getting to some heavy stuff here. He wants you to be strengthened by in your inner man by this being, being charged that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. This is all about Jesus Christ. Someone says, I, I want Christ. I mean, that's okay to be talking about charge and energy and all that, but I'm just into Jesus Christ. No, you're not. You think you are. But the only way you're going to really get Jesus into you now, he said, except I go away, I can't send you the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the comforter that you are to come into Jesus Christ by now. And you're trying to come into him from, from his suffering on the cross. It takes the Holy Ghost that the Father, Father which art in heaven taught Jesus by the Holy Ghost how to do the resurrection. And I read that to you last week. And if you don't believe that, you new people that are plugged in, go back and listen to the scripture I gave last week on the, on, on the Holy Ghost part one. Now get ready for this. That Jesus Christ dwell in your hearts by faith, faith that ye be enrooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. Come on, what is the breadth? What is the length? And the depth and the width. Here we have a fourplex, a four-dimensional. We've got breadth, width, uh, length, depth, height. And to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And that's what you've got to get today. Someone says, I've got all this knowledge. I've been, I've been going to church and I've taken this course uh, from, from the Brother Frank Smith or v Brother Don Coffey. And I don't know who those people are. I just made up the name, but the point I'm trying to get at, some of these people that are out there teaching, 
They should be listening and learning. They think that if you eat of the tree of good and evil knowledge, you're all right. Well, so, so did some other people think that. You know what a mess that turned out to be. Here's what they don't get. Come on, here's what they don't get, and it says it right here. I want to read it again. I want you to hear it again. I want you to hear this. This is so absolutely important. So absolutely, totally important. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. There's a place that you go beyond knowledge. Knowledge is just a, a certain degree. You go beyond knowledge. You've you got to pass over it. Knowledge isn't going to take you into the kingdom of God. It's going to be the quickening of the Spirit, the charge of the Spirit. And it is, how is it described? The Bible says it is not of this world. So this truth, this spiritual manna, is not earth-based knowledge. It's not even knowledge that is tangerined with spiritualness. But it is totally separated from any of that kind of knowledge because that is all on a much lower scale and it goes beyond that and you go past that knowledge to get to the knowledge of understanding this dimensional thing that it gives here, which is so awesome. Now, I want to share with you something very interesting. Right in that same reading of Ephesians, Ephesians 6.10, it says, Be strong in the, in the Lord. If you look at the word strong, in the Strong's Concordance, strong equals, equals strength and power and equals charge. When God is saying, be strong in the Lord, he's saying, you've got to get charged. You've got to be charged. Wow. When are people going to catch on? The height, the width, all these things are so important. Now, we've been having a thing happen in our home. I've shared it with several people. But... The piano has, my grand piano that I play, has decided by the Spirit to play on its own, to self-play. Well, years and years and years ago, I had a dream. And I dreamed that I was driving a grand piano. And when I would press down the loud pedal, the sustaining pedal, and I really push it down because I wanted it to, to speed up, it would just slow down and just practically stop. But when I would take my foot off the sustaining pedal and just sort of wait on the spirit, that piano would just take off. That was a dream. I didn't know at the time what it meant. Well, our piano has been playing on its own without anybody touching it. 
And then it reverberates and we hear it up on the mezzanine. And then we hear it down the hall upstairs. And then we hear it playing octaves. A lower octave, a higher octave. We hear it playing a chord. The piano is playing. And there's a message there. Well, the other day as I'm thinking about this message and I'm putting together some things, I went back into some of my writings. One called Star Forever. And I found this writing, this prophecy. So, here it is. I trek on in my mind and I listen to the God winds blow and the angels prophesy. I tried to sing some of the spirit songs and to see into the deep glows of the red and blue diamonds. In the world of my mind, harps, now the piano is a harp, harps can play of their own accord. And in Artura, lovely things bless lovely people every day. The self-playing harps know the song stars forever. And I request those songs often. Some of the other writing that was in that particular revelation. Now, that was given to me in the year 2010. And in June of 2016, the piano started playing on its own and has continued to still be playing in our home, been heard by many people now and heard over the telephone as I've been talking to people. And it's played in the year 2017, which we are now. There's something getting ready to happen. Something good is on its way. Well, in this same writ, here's some of the things that it says. There is a difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, which are of the same substance and quality, but not the same style of quantity. When the Bible speaks of the Holy Ghost descending like a dove or appearing as cloven tongues of fire, F-I-R-E, such a style quantity of the Holy Spirit is then properly called Holy Ghost. This said style quantity of the Holy Ghost is a condition of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture clearly shows the contrast between filled as fulfilled and not filled as partial. The Holy Spirit so it shows the contrast between those two is what it's saying. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost are generally not visible to the naked eye and likened to the scriptures or as the scriptures say that mention someone giving up the ghost does lend itself therefore to a deep use of the word phantom. In many of the New Testament Greek words which the translation was made Ideas were interwoven, 
such as to stretch beyond and to seek places beyond, across, above, over, to appear, to seem to be, to think, to suppose, to extend above these parts and more. Body death is not spirit death. The spirit without the body can still listen, think, reason, make decisions. Compare 1 Peter 3.18-19 KJV. Scripture clearly indicates the superior ability of the human spirit over the human body. Corinthians 2.11 KJV. The human spirit abides in the solar plexus of the human body, is very sensitive to the happenings in the body as such, and is often uh, aid to the body. Compare Proverbs 18.8, Proverbs 18.14, KJV. Many other scriptures available, with the exception of the fallen, failed message, angel scenario. The human body is made first, and the human spirit by accelerations is made within the human body. Many uh, people do not understand that the Bible says in Zechariah 12.1 that the spirit is made in the body. And this is, has to do with the accelerations. And so those are beautiful things. They're awesome things. And there is no end to the possibilities. Now, as to this thing about the, the, the spirit, you know, uh, and, and, and how that the Holy Spirit is said not to be used with the word it. One of the first things is that 1 Peter 3.18 talks about being quickened by the Spirit. Then it also talks in 1 Peter 4.14 about the Spirit bringing a person into the rest. And it talks in John 4.6 about the Spirit being the Spirit of truth. And in John, 1 John, and that other scripture was 1 John 4.6, and this one, First John 5, 6, the Spirit beareth witness. And then very importantly, in First Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, do not quench the Spirit. So, the Spirit is a powerful thing. In Acts 8, 39, the Spirit caught Philip away into the, by, by its energy. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, the Spirit searches all things. 1 Corinthians 2.11, it, it, it knoweth no man these things but by the Spirit of God, verified in 1 Corinthians 12.3. 1 Corinthians 6.17 talks about being joined with the Lord in one spirit. And I gave you that, quoted that scripture, 2 Peter 1.21 For prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man but holy men of God spoke by the Holy Ghost. <coughs> 2 Peter 1.21 2 Peter 1.20 talks about there is no private interpretation 
And of course, people have not understood that that means at all. They'd really check out Greek 2398 and Greek 2399. It really means that there is no unlearned of the spirit possibility to interpret the scripture. It cannot be interpreted by any unlearned of the spirit person. That's what it really means instead of the word private. So we begin to see that there are beautiful things. As we get into this tetrachord, we're talking about the grand piano and the harp. In Hebrews 4, 17, it talks about the dividing asunder. asunder. This will be my last little share here, but I, I have to have this in at least. There's so much I, we're not able to get to. But um, in, in this scripture, it is so very, very important to understand what it is really saying. Because it is, it is saying something that's awesome. In Hebrews 4, it talks about, in verse 12, for the word of God is quick, there's your charge, powerful, there's your charge, sharper, there's that fine point of interpretation, than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. And a lot of people stop right there. They just make it a duet, but that's wrong. Because they don't understand how that in another chapter, another book of the Bible, Paul has the style of putting things of representation into body parts. And so here he says, first let's read, dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, joints and marrow, <laughs> that's body, that's talking body, and is a discerner of thoughts, and that's talking mind. So what you really have here is the tetrachord of the, the spirit, the soul, the body, and the mind. These four. And you have to understand that there is a difference how that these actually work. How that they are weighed. Someone says, weighed? Yeah, the Bible actually, and we'll get into this next week, but the Bible actually teaches that God does not look at the life in the body to discern a decision about that person. Now, I want you to get this. But the Bible says that he weighs the spirit. This means that there's something that no one knows. That there is a certain thing that the spirit can have called weight. 
And this is one of the big revelations that is the really important part of my teachings that I do in the black hole manual and in my teachings about the universe and all of this. It's this thing called Fermity. F-I-R-M-I-T-Y. Fermity. That the spirit can have. It's like some of these particles that for a long time they said they have no gravity. No, no, ma no mass set for gravity. They found out they were wrong. And so, ladies and gentlemen, there is so much. I wanted to get into the streak of the direct address to show this important grammatically grammatical thing about these words have describing the Holy Ghost. We'll carry on next week. We thank you for your ear. There is so much more. Janet Lee at the organ. God bless you.